Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at an incredibly low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this habit, and I looked up years down the road and realized it was this simple discipline that God had used to heal vast places of my soul. It is my greatest desire to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So again, thank you for joining me today. The podcast is going to be made up of two segments. The first portion, um, I'll just talk about practical tips and tricks or different topic. And then for the second segment, I'm going to be reading a devotional thought that I've written somewhere along my own personal journey of walking with God. Today, I want to talk about the battle that we face to establish the habit of Bible reading and prayer. As all of us are probably aware, habits are difficult to break and habits are difficult to establish. Any good habit, whether that is a diet or running or incorporating some form of exercise into your life or changing your schedule and and learning to get up early, any good habit in your life is going to be a fight. It is a discipline. Discipline is not pleasant. It is challenging, but it is so worthwhile. And so just on a very basic level, every single discipline we set out to establish is going to come with difficulty. But there is incredible power in this habit. It has supernatural results. In the next episode, I'm actually going to talk about some of the proofs, literal, scientific, documented proofs for some of the elements of the habit of Bible reading and prayer. But because the enemy knows the power of the word of God and he knows the power of your prayers, he does everything possible to silence your voice in prayer and to keep you separated from the word. And so I just really felt strongly to discuss a few of the things that you're probably going to face. Now, some people that will listen probably have a well-established discipline in their life. Others may be new to this. And I've just talked to a lot of people over the years and discovered that there are some things we all struggle with in establishing or strengthening the habit of Bible reading and prayer. First of all, remember, you're going to fight the enemy and you're going to fight your flesh. Our flesh does not want to be disciplined. Our flesh wants to do what it wants to do, which is usually not read the Bible and pray. And so there's a few things that we'll probably face. Number one, you're going to face distractions. It's so important to find a quiet time, a time that is just naturally going to be less full of distractions to have daily devotions. Every dog on your street is going to bark. Your kids are going to wake up if you get up early and you have kids. A million things are going to come into your mind. I would suggest just having a little piece of paper or something where you could write down to-dos as they come to your mind. I had someone suggest that once, and that is helpful. Sometimes you just need to get it out onto a piece of paper so that that distraction is out of your mind. And one of the greatest distractions that we face is our iPhone. I cannot tell you how many times I have gone to get my phone to look up something in the Blue Letter Bible app, and there's a notification on the front of my phone 
a text from somebody that seems very urgent and I need to respond to it or an email or just something and I forget that oh yeah I picked up my phone to look up a bible verse and five minutes later I'm in the middle of a text conversation so either putting your iPhone away entirely or doing something to keep you from being distracted by your iPhone so number one in this battle is distractions these are not necessarily in the order of importance number two sleepiness When I began this habit, I started when my kids took naps, and that worked out pretty good. It was the middle afternoon, I was wide awake. But eventually my kids stopped taking naps, and I had to switch up my time. And I am not naturally a morning person, but I opted to do early mornings, and we will talk about early mornings probably in another episode. I am a huge proponent of early morning Bible reading and prayer, just doing it first thing. But when I started, I wrestled such sleepiness because obviously I wasn't used to getting up very early in the morning, and I think that there's, um, that's just something we're going to fight as we set out to establish this habit. Number three, excuses. I have talked to so many people, and the excuses in terms of why people cannot establish this habit are varied and yet the same. I hear I'm bored by it. I don't understand it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to start on and on the excuses of our flesh are endless and so excuses are definitely something we're going to face in this battle to establish this habit in our lives number four and this really is probably the greatest one but we are going to battle the accuser in revelation chapter 12 it talks about the accuser who accuses the brethren before the throne of god day and night satan has a voice and he is not afraid to use it He never shuts up. He will constantly talk about how unworthy you are. How, why would you pray? You did X, Y, or Z. Why would you read the Bible? You don't deserve to have a relationship with God. Constantly breathing accusations down the back of your neck. He's going to bring up regrets. And this is one of his great tactics is to get us looking backward with regret or forward with fear and worry because there is no power in yesterday there is no power in tomorrow all we have is the day all i have is today to seek god all i have to is today to love people all i have is today i'm not guaranteed tomorrow and i cannot change the past but he loves to consume us with regrets over the the past and worry and fear over the future and so this is just another tactic that when you sit down to open up your bible he's going to start with all these accusations he starts with the blame game because he wants to separate you from the word of god which holds so much power so i just wanted to share those things i'm sure there's more things that are part of the battle those are just a few of the things that i have really seen and experienced personally Um, again distractions put your iphone away sleepiness excuses and the voice of the accuser but push past the excuses fight for this habit, sacrifice for this habit, be willing to lose sleep, be willing to do anything you have to do to incorporate this habit in your life. You will never regret it. I guarantee that. Today, I'm going to share a little devotional thought called dust, not gold. And I did just want to say one thing before I read this. When we read the Bible, we don't read 
to have inspirational thoughts. We read to feed our souls. We read to discover truth. We read to find salvation. But sometimes I've discovered that as I read and the longer I'm in the Word of God, inspiration does hit or a little line or a little word will jump off the page at me and sort of strike me and I will dig into it. Sometimes dig into the Hebrew meanings of words or Greek meanings of words and um, little thoughts will spin off. And that's kind of what happens. That's really how all of these pieces that I share are birthed. But I just wanted to say that don't read the Bible for the purpose of having inspirational thoughts. Read the Bible to feed your soul. Read the Bible to learn about God. Read the Bible to have a relationship with him. And this time, having said that, I would like to read Dust, Not Gold. This morning, I drove to church in silence, and as I drove, my reading from Genesis 1 and 2 was circling through my head. As I was musing, verse 7 came to mind. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God's highest, most valuable creation came from something with no value. God's chief and primary creation came from dust. Dust is not even soil or earth because there are two different Hebrew words for dust and ground. This is proof again that God's ways are not my ways, I would not have chosen dust, but he does things differently than I would expect. Just a few short verses later, after we read about God's tender, personal creation of man and his placement of man in a garden he planted, Genesis 2.8, with plants he grew, Genesis 2.4-5, we read that other precious elements were readily available nearby. Verses 10 through 12 mention rivers that flow into the surrounding lands where there is gold and the gold of the land is good and there is delium and onyx stone. Gold? That seems far more suitable, far more precious and priceless than dust. Delium? What is that anyways? <laughs> Thayer's defines it as some precious article of merchandise mentioned in Genesis 2.12 amongst the gold and precious stones, possibly a fragrant resin. In my mind, that seems preferable to dust. Onyx stone, that seems far more strong, far more enduring than dust. But though these substances were available nearby, God chose dust. It wasn't default because nothing else was available. It was his choice. Why dust? I certainly don't have all the answers for that, but a few things come to mind. Number one, what has already been stated, dust has no value. Life and value came into man when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Dust on its own is nothing. The dust of the human form needed the breath of God to animate it. The human form did not hold intrinsic value from the material from which it was composed, but rather from being made in the image of God and that form being made alive by the breath of God. That reminds me in so many ways of the words Jesus spoke. Apart from me, you can do nothing. No real value, no real lasting impact on our own. Dust has no value. 
Number two, a vessel of dust is a fragile vessel. In the creation of man, God was not intent on making a strong, self-reliant vessel. If he was, he certainly would have used the nearby gold or onyx stone, but he was desiring to create something moldable, shapeable, tender, and fragile. 2 Corinthians 4-7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. This verse reminds me, in turn, of 1 Corinthians 1, 25-29. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, and things which are despised, has God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. He chooses foolish, weak, base, despised things that are deemed as nothing, so that only his glory will be displayed. His strength is strongest in the weakest vessels. His value is preeminent in dust, in the fragile container of an earthen vessel. Dust is fragile. Number three, dust can do nothing on its own. This ties in a little to number one, but it's different. While God had the ability to form dust into something, the dust on its own could only be dust. It had no power, no creative ability to be anything other than it was. Full dependence on God's creative force was required for dust to become something. Dust is incapable. Dust has no value. Dust is fragile. Dust is incapable. I would consider all of these to be disqualifiers, but God sees these as the very things that qualify us for his grace, mercy, strength, and creative power. He chose dust. And the more I identify with dust, the more I recognize my dusty condition, the greater ability he has to work in and through this fragile frame. As we walk with him, he often brings us to places where we are brought face to face with our dust, places where we clearly see our fragility and incapability, places where we see as he sees, for he knows our frame, he remembers we are but dust, Psalm 103, 14. That is one of my favorite scriptures, by the way. It is in this place, with a realistic view, that he becomes all. It is not our value, our strength, or our capability that he seeks. Rather, it is our humble dependence on the one who chose to breathe his breath into dust. I once heard Jacob Mueller say in a sermon that he preached, There's nothing left in me but the dust you made me with. That is gold not dust or dust not gold had that backward i love psalm 34 18 it says the lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saves such as be of a contrite spirit i had always thought contrite meant humble when i read this verse but i once looked up the word contrite and it literally means dust it means crushed it means broken very small 
God saves those who are crushed to dust. God saves those that are crushed in spirit. If you are crushed in spirit, if you feel like dust, this is the birthplace of dependence. So often we fight the moments where we're faced with our brokenness, with our hangups, with our limitations. But this is the place where we can draw close to God. It's a birthplace of relationship. It's in those places that God will knit his heart to our heart. We don't have to be strong. His strength is perfect in weakness. And I am so incredibly thankful for that verse that Paul wrote, that his strength is strongest in the weakest vessels and that he gets glory when we're weak. So grateful for that. Thank you so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or handwritten manuscript of today's entry, please visit meguneditedcom For now, go grab your Bible and your journal. I'm looking forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is Unedited. This is for you. Happy Friday.